Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. All right. Good morning, everybody. Hasn't been already an amazing day. For those of you watching online, had an amazing spirit in this room today. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your first time, we're just excited that you've decided to be a part of our church. Um, I, 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 before we kind of jump into things, I have to say I was standing over there and uh, worshiping, and there was a, a, a symbol for victory um, that our interpreters, Al, Al's over there. Al was helping us, and Marjean does an amazing, don't you appreciate Marjean for signing all morning long? Does an amazing job. She hates it when I bring attention to her, so I'm just going to come right over here and just stand very awkwardly right above her, and she's really not happy about this right now, but that's okay. We can do this. I can just stand right here, and I'll, you know, I, I'm a patient man. I can wait until she turns or breaks, but she won't. So, but Al, thank you so much for all the great job that you do. I'm going to pay for that later. I know I am, but it, where was I? Okay. But there's a sign called victory. And uh, when we were singing that song, uh, your name is victory to be able to see the sign kind of lead up to heaven. It, that was a, an amazing experience and, and worshipful. So Al, thank you so much for signing and for, for, thank you so much for teaching me this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, you can clap for that. Uh, All right, now that the mushy stuff is over, uh, we are in the midst of a message series entitled That Guy. And in essence, don't be that guy. And and we've been looking at the life of a man by the name of Joseph. And um, we love Joseph. And if you're a follower of Jesus, some of you I know have already said, like, oh, we love Joseph. How can you pick on Joseph? It's like, yes. But Joseph is a perfect example of really what you and I live with every day. If you're a follower of Jesus, you try your best to do the right things. But isn't it true that we mess up? Isn't it true that we make mistakes? As, as good as we try to be, as righteous as we try to behave, um, we typically find ourselves into moments where we make the wrong decision. And that's Joseph. Joseph does so much right, but through the course of his life, in small, very tiny moments, he will make mistakes. And those mistakes have consequences. And we've been looking the last three weeks about all the consequences that Joseph found himself in. And today, We're going to continue that, and we're going to see him fall into a very subtle trap. And I would tell you, and I said this last week, but I mean it this week, um, not that I didn't mean it last week, but for those of you watching at home, balcony on the floor, I truly believe what we're going to learn today, most of us in this room fall into. In fact, I truly believe some of us, we practice this all the time, and we don't realize that it's not right. And we're going to learn from Joseph. In order to kick this off, um, I was doing a study on chess this week. Yes, all of you, you just judged me. You said, who does a study on chess? Don't be, the chess is an amazing game, and yes, I can get some research on it. But I, I was curious. I've played chess maybe four handful of times. I'm not very good. I really, I've forgotten probably more moves than I can count. And um, I remember playing with my son a long time ago, and I, I think I lost in three moves. I don't know how that's possible, but it is possible. I did lose in three moves. And I remember thinking, I I don't understand. Who has an advantage? And I was reading this article, and they were basically saying, do you know that at the professional level of chess, it really isn't about making some very strategic moves for you personally? That the whole game of chess, when you get to that level, is about applying pressure to your opponent so that they ultimately make a mistake. 
Because every chess player that ascends to a certain level knows which moves to make and which moves not to make. So it's not as if they're, they're not educated about the game of chess. It's just that when they have the pressure put on them, at a time, they will typically make a mistake. And when they make a mistake, the other chess player pounces, and that's how the game is ultimately won in chess. Now, I say that today because we're going to see Joseph, and we're going to see pressure and we're going to see how Joseph responds to pressure and how that relates to us today. In order to illustrate this, we need to give you a little background. We ended last week, and we talked a lot about bondage. And Joseph's brothers, if you remember, we end last week catching people up. That Joseph's brothers were there, and Joseph was basically at a point where he's pretending that he's not their brother. And he is putting them through a bunch of hoops and a bunch of hard times. And the brothers, they're pressured, they're stressed. And he has Simeon. Do you remember Simeon? Last week, if, I, if you were here, you remember me saying, Simeon was the one brother that despised Joseph the most. And so Joseph picked Simeon, had Simeon tied up, had him thrown in prison. Well, that's where we're going to pick things up. The brothers are there. They've asked for more grain. Joseph's going to honor their requests, but I want you to focus on what Joseph decides to do. So we're going to jump to the book of Genesis and we're going to begin to read that story again. So follow along on the screen with me as we go. This is verse 1 in chapter 44. When Joseph's brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. He said this, fill each, other, fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back in their sack. Then put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed him. Now let me pause and catch you up. So Joseph begins this process, and he says, okay, they want grain, now give them their money back on tap. Because I know when they get home and they open up their bag and they see their money returned to them, they're going to panic. Because they're gonna think, Joseph has given me a hard time, and now we have the money. How did this happen? We didn't give the money for it. We didn't pay for it. Oh my gosh, Simeon's in prison. Oh my gosh, we're going to be in so much trouble. And then they're going to get accused of something else. They're going to get accused of having that cup which they did not place in. What is Joseph doing at this moment? Now, for some of us, we may say, Joseph's being strategic. Joseph is sitting there, and Joseph knows where the end goes, and Joseph's being strategic. But the truth is, there's another word for this, and we're going to learn about this today. You see, I don't believe Joseph was being strategic. I think Joseph was being manipulative. And there's a key difference between manipulation and strategy. There's a key difference between manipulation and strategy. Now, just so all of us can go along, do you fall into a pattern of manipulating people? Let's find that out. So what is manipulation? Here are some key principles. If you manip manipulate people, you will practice what we call deception. There's a lot of husbands and wives in this room. There's a lot of brothers and sisters. There's a lot of friends. And many times, we will enter into a conversation, and we ultimately know where we want the conversation to go. And so, we can either be strategic, which we're going to learn in just a second, or we can be manipulative. One of the first things that we do is we deceive the other individual. Now, let me give you a, a very case in point. I know there are times when I really have a hankering for Mexican food. I love it. 
I love my fajitas. I love it. And so there are times when my wife, we both love it, but there are times when if we've just had it, I could eat it every day. If, if we just had it, she doesn't want to do it. So I have been known to do this before where all of a sudden I'll go, ooh, I know if I ask Jennifer if we're going to go get Mexican food, she's going to say no, and I really, really, really have a hankering for it. So what I might do, I'm being funny here, but what I might do is, is that maybe I'll just go ahead and take my sombrero that I got from Mexico a few years ago, and I will place it strategically by the front door. A little subtle, little, you know, reminder as she walks in and she sees that. Maybe what I'll do is I'll go to my Apple playlist and I'll play a little bit of Mexican music and have that strategically playing in the background. Maybe I get, you know, get the maracas out and just shake them just a little bit. And I'll just kind of do that and then say, honey, I, you know, gosh, it's just making me hungry for Mexican. You know, don't you think we should get Mexican? Now, I am deceiving her and I'm manipulating her. And now many of us, we laugh at that extreme example, but you know you have done some things like that and ultimately to get your way. Here's another thing we do when we manipulate. We lie. And this gets a little serious. Sometimes we could be at lunch and sometimes, now some of you might say, well, Terry, I don't straight out lie. I don't, I don't 100%, you know, I don't go 180 degrees in the other direction. I don't straight out lie. But if I were to say, you ever heard the term white lies? You ever heard that? Those little tiny lies, there's no difference, by the way. I've read, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I've never read where it says, oh, it, you know, lying is bad, but white lies are okay. No, I've never read that. And I would say a lie is a lie. And if we're to be righteous, we have to try to avoid that type of manipulative behavior. And so if you find yourself fudging the lines of truth in order to get your way, you might be a manipulator. Here's where it really becomes clear the difference between strategy and manipulation. It usually, manipulation is what's best for me. When you're sitting there and you are acting and you're trying to get what's best for me, it might not be best for the other individual, it might not be best for every, it might not be righteous, but this is what's best for me and this is what I want, and so I'm gonna strategically, no wait, wrong word, manipulatively do what I need to do in order to get what I want. Joseph was doing this. Joseph, in his heart, watch this. He said, you know what? I'm playing with my brothers. I'm getting back. Last week, we talked about the revenge factor. I'm getting revenge. I want them to sweat. I want them to feel the pain that I felt. So give them the grain, but now I want you to go ahead and put their money back so that they panic and freak out. I want them to do this. And then go ahead and take my cup, my personal cup, and put it in their sack. And ultimately, we're going to see what happens to them. So now, Terry, fine, manipulative. What's strategy? Strategy. If you use strategy, you're being transparent. Strategy is being very upfront and very clear with another individual. There's no hidden deception. There's no lies. There's no attack. There's honesty. So you have transparency. You have honesty. And here's the key difference. When you enter into a strategic conversation, it's not about you. It's what's best for all. It's what's best for all. You know, someone asked me a long time ago, they said, Terry, what's the difference between strategy and what's the, the, the difference between vision? Um, and I just want to give this so that way if you're a business leader, you get this. Every business leader, every leader should have a vision. I'm the pastor, the lead pastor of the church, and you know what my main job function is? It's not to preach on Sunday. My main job function is to cast vision for our church. That's what a lead pastor does. Now, what is vision? Vision is a picture of where you want to go. So why I'm bringing this up? Think about it. If you have a picture of where you want to go, then ultimately you need to cast it. Jennifer, 
I know you just had Mexican food yesterday. And sweetheart, pumpkin, I love you. I'm just dying to have an enchilada. And I just have to go to El Cerro Grande here in Myrtle Beach to get that. So please, can we go there? That is much better than me playing Mexican music, putting the sombrero on, and shaking my maracas. I'm just telling you. It's much better. Now I just have an image in your minds, and now you're all just really done with me. I understand. But you cast a vision, and what is strategy? Strategy are the steps that needed to take in order to accomplish the picture of where you want to go. And every good leader casts vision and then is transparent about a strategy, not a manipulation, but a strategy in order to accomplish it. The truth is, the key difference between manipulation and strategy is you. The key difference between those two points is how you approach it. Do you choose manipulation, which the enemy loves, or do you choose strategy? Well, let's see what happens, and let's see. Some of you might say, well, Terry, I think Joseph was strategic. He gave them their money back. It was, it was for, you know, to bless them. It was for all. So you're, you're judging Joseph. No, I'm not judging Joseph, because we're going to see in a second. Because watch what happens after they leave he, Joseph sends that manager who has done that over to them and watch the conversation. Take a look at this. When the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. What are you talking about, the brothers responded. We are your servants and would never take Joseph's cup. We would never do that. Didn't we return the money? The brothers got the money and they said, no, we want it back. Didn't we return it? that we found in our sacks, we brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master? If you find his cup with any of us, let that man die, and all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. Watch what the manager says. That's fair. Notice, the palace manager who put the cup in their bags, he went ahead and accused them, and they said, let us be slaves and let the youngest die if we've done that. And what does the palace manager say? Is he transparent? Well, actually, guys, I'm just pulling your leg. I did it. No. That's fair because that's what Joseph instructed them, him to do. Do you start seeing manipulation? He says, that's fair, but only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. They all quickly took their sacks from the backs of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brothers' sacks from the oldest to their. Notice the manipulation. You talk about unfolding a story. The palace manager knows which bag it's in. And do you notice what it says? He starts from the oldest. Let me let them sweat more. Let me let them show them. Let me panic. They're going to think, that. see, we told you, we told you. And then he comes to the youngest, which he knows it's in, and he opens it up, and now they're horrified. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again, and they returned to the city. Now we see manipulation from Joseph. And here's the thing. There are some of us in this room watching a line in the balcony where we think, you know, Terry, I get it, you know, I mean, but I mean, we're not perfect. I mean, you know, I, I live in a messy home. If I were to tell my spouse or if I were to tell my kids or my brother everything, I mean, it would be far worse for me. And so a little bit of manipulation goes a long way, Pastor Terry. I mean, we can be strategic. I get it. That's my action step. I'll be more strategic. But I'm going to always have some manipulation. Be careful, Christian. Be careful because you're only thinking short term. If we were to step back and look at Joseph, 
and start adding up the consequences for all of Joseph's manipulation, then you begin to see the weight of why God calls us to be righteous. Let's just take a look at all the things Joseph has done and see the consequences. Take a look at this. Most of Joseph's brothers were in prison for three days. Some of you are saying, well, Terry, it was only three days. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's not that big a deal. Okay, what if the police came to your house today and grabbed you and put you in jail for a day? How would it feel to have your freedom taken away? How would it feel to be embarrassed to have to be thrown into prison? And by the way, this isn't just a federal prison of the United States. This is an Egyptian jail. I want you to imagine what happens in prison in the United States. Now make it about six million times worse. His brothers for three days because of Joseph's manipulation, they suffered in prison because Joseph wanted revenge. Simeon was in prison for months. Well, no, Terry, how, this story goes really quick. Remember, we are jumping a whole lot of timelines to get this story done in four weeks. But Simeon was tied up, and he was thrown in prison. And theologians will say the time period for when the brothers left, went back home, and came back could have been months that Simeon suffered in prison. The family, don't miss this, meanwhile, they're starving. Did you forget this? Why did the brothers go to Egypt? They were starving. They were at their wit's end. Go to Egypt. There's grain in Egypt. Joseph is there. If Joseph chose strategy, if Joseph chose transparency, guess what would have happened? Brothers, it is I, Joseph. Joseph, oh my gosh. Reunite. Where's my father? Your father's over here. Bring dad here. Or here's all the grain that you want. Bring it quickly to the family. Instead, we have this long time period that Joseph is playing games and his family is starving and suffering in, in their land. I just thought of this when I was saying this. How many times does our family suffer because of our manipulation? How many painful moments happen with our family and our friends because we can't be strategic in our honesty? There's slander, there's lies, there's stress, and then there's a waste of time. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And if you're a leader, if, you're a, if you go to work, if you're in your businesses, write this down. There is a key difference. Next slide. God calls all of us to be leaders and not manipulators. I'm going to say this again. God calls us to be leaders and not manipulators. Every single one of you watching online, Balkan and Four, you're a leader. No, I'm not, Terry. I'm not the leader type. No, no, no. In God's eyes, you're a leader. You're leading the cause of Christ. The number one thing and responsibility we have as followers of Jesus is what? To glorify God in everything we say and do. So God has called all of us to be leaders in our neighborhoods, in the marketplace, everywhere to be able to shine a light of Christ. And when we're leaders, we are transparent, we are righteous so that God's light can shine through us. When we manipulate, we do not shine a light on Christ. We make it all about ourselves. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're really panicked because you're like, I think I'm a leader. I don't know. Maybe I'm manipulating. Am I a manipulator? Am I a leader? I'm not sure. Do you want to know the simplest way to know in a moment whether you are being strategic or whether you're being manipulative? I'm going to say it again. Do you know how you know in the moment? Am I being manipulative or am I being strategic? There's one word that you have to place in your head and it will absolutely spread the difference. And here's what it is. It's called empathy. Manipulators lack empathy. And so when you go into a situation, 
The first thing a person does is before I have this conversation, before I say anything, let me put myself in this person's shoes. What would be best for them? What are they feeling? What are they emoting? God, what would you have me say in this conversation? And if you think of the other individual first before you speak, nine times out of 10, you're gonna fall on the side of strategy. Because why? How could you lie to your spouse? How could you lie? If you thought about your spouse, for instance, and put yourself in their shoes, how could I say this because it's not true and because I'm just trying to deceive her and this is my bride and how could I do this to my bride? When you have empathy, you think about those things before you approach a conversation and then you avoid manipulation because you know what, God? How could I do such a thing to her? Families have been broken apart. Brothers and sisters have been broken apart all because of manipulation. And it's subtle and it's dangerous and we have to pay attention. We continue the story as the brothers have been brought back and Joseph is standing there and Joseph has basically confronted them. Benjamin has taken the cup and all this conversation's going on and you're gonna see Joseph finally come to a moment we've all been praying for. Take a look at this, continuing in verse one of chapter 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. Pause. Remember that phrase. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down. He wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery from Egypt. Joseph finally gets to the place where he opens his heart. The lies have stopped because Joseph could stand it no longer. Here's the truth. My greatest fear is not getting to a place where I can't stand it any longer. It's getting to a place where I can. I'm gonna say that again. My greatest fear is not getting to a place where I can stand it no longer. It's getting to a place where I can. There are some of you in this room that have lived a life of manipulation so long that when God's conviction, when all of a sudden the consequences don't matter, the conviction doesn't matter, justification has come over your life to where it doesn't matter, I can justify every bit of my action because ultimately in my mind I think it's best for me and I think it's best for everyone else. But there is a danger there. Because here's the truth, when you manipulate, you tell God that you absolutely do not trust him. When you manipulate, when you deceive, when you lie, it's like looking at God and saying, God, I know you tell me not to lie. I know you tell me not to be deceptive. I know that this is truth. However, I'm smarter than you because I know my family better than you. And so I don't trust you with my family because I know better. And so I'm going to deceive, I'm going to lie, I'm going to manipulate because it's best right now for my family. When you do that, you look into the eyes of your creator and you say, I don't trust you. That's what you do. That's what I do. And God forgive us every time we do that because his truth, he's big enough, he can handle everything. 
And Joseph finally gets to the place where he can't stand it any longer. Let's pick up the story. So Joseph says, don't be upset, brothers, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. I close by reminding you of something. We started this by talking specifically about chess. Life is not a chess game. Life has serious consequences. Life is not just a series of moves that you try your best to manipulate to your favor. Your family is not a chessboard. They are people. And the truth is, is that people are not pawns to be played. They are people to be loved. You know, on a chessboard, the other thing that I studied is they say the common misconception for people who don't play chess is, is that when they look at all the pawns that are up front, you automatically think that these are the most insignificant pieces in the game. But most major chess players will tell you the pawn is the key to victory. Each pawn in a series of moves, if played correctly, can lead to ultimate victory. Your family are not a bunch of pawns. Your family, friends, and coworkers are not pawns to be manipulated. They're blessings to be protected. And I think we confuse life with a chess game. And I think many of us try to position our family and our friends so that we can always win. Well, here's the good news. You don't always have to win because it's not about you. Because if you trust God, you remember what Paul says to the church in Rome. And he said this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, if we trust God, we don't need to play that game. If we trust God, we can be strategic and not manipulative. If we trust God, we don't have to be like that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be a manipulator. Trust in him and lead your family. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege to be able to share that message, God. And Lord, I, I know it has hit my heart because, Father, there are times when I don't trust you in situations. There are times when I, I see it so close and it's like, yeah, but if we just do this. And God, forgive me and forgive so many others, God, when we reach, when we manipulate. I pray for the husbands and wives, God, in this room that need to stop that dance and instead be open, transparent, and honest. I pray for the brothers and sisters, the siblings, God, that struggle and try to one-up each other. I pray, God, that instead they would remember it's not about them. It's not about a competition. It's about trusting you. God, right now, I just pray for the individual that their heart is broken because they realize that as a person in their family or in their business that they have been manipulating for a long time. Well, today is the day, God, 
as we enter into this Easter season, I can think of no better time than to pause and to say, God, forgive me. And so if you're in this room and you want to stop and you want the power of God in your life to be able to help you not to manipulate, then I would ask you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I want to recommit my heart to you. I want to tell you that I trust you. I want to tell you that I can no longer justify my manipulation any longer. If I truly trust you, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest. And I'm not going to think of myself. I'm going to think of my family. I'm going to think of others because it's not about me. It's about you. And that's my responsibility as a leader. So God, right now, penetrate my heart. Break away the hardness that has been just encapsulating my heart for so long. And I pray that the next few weeks and months that I will see tangible change because you've convicted me and I'm gonna try to do the right thing. Maybe you're in here today and maybe it's not just a recommitment. Maybe you'd say, Terry, I am learning so much because God's word is powerful to truth and I need that in my life. Well, then you need a savior. Maybe today is the day that you say, I trust Jesus. And so right now in this room, if you want to follow Jesus, it's as simple as this. Dear God, I'm messy. And God, I've done so much wrong. But I've heard that you love me the same. And so God, I give you my heart. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And God, you say that you are faithful to forgive. I thank you, God, that I don't have to be perfect. I thank you that I don't have to clean myself up. I thank you that those are lies that the enemy tries to put into my mind. The truth is you accept me right now as I am, and you promise to give me a better future. And so, God, right now, I commit my life to you, and I tell you that I want to follow you. So, God, thank you that today I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will be in heaven because... Paul said it best when he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised his son Jesus from the dead, then I will be saved. That's all that's necessary. And so God, thank you that I believe that and I am a Christian. So Father, we love you today. Thank you for guarding our hearts so we never have to be that guy. We love you in Jesus' name.